for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Well, good morning, church. Um, we have a new addition to the church family, which is Levi. Joshua Ezra. Joshua Ezra. He's only got three more names. He's got the 12 tribes of Israel, but it's absolutely fantastic for Peter and Annie. Um, so we, we celebrate. I, I guess they're not here yet, are they? The, it's a typical man question. No, you won't be here. But we are, we're absolutely thrilled for them. One of the things about the, um, the Clockhouse Riverside area is that we've, we've noticed that when you drive um, to and throw from the Riverside Centre, People are so gracious and kind. They wait for you, you know, when there's this parked cars. And they're always sort of honouring one another, thanking one another for waiting. And uh, there's a real culture there, which I think is absolutely magnificent. And I think whenever we are driving to and from the riverside, along Clockhouse, up to Brookfield Road, can we enter into that wonderful culture of honouring people coming the other way? So be patient but always thank, because um, I've I just been so impressed with, with the culture there. And, uh, you know, the, the, we, are, we, are, we want to be good neighbours, um, but there's something really nice about this area that's uh, incredibly heartwarming. Okay, did you ever have, perhaps you didn't, but did you ever have any kind of mischievous thoughts as a kid to cause confusion? <laughs> just for the heck of it. Um, like moving signposts the wrong way. You know, on the, <laughs> I mean, hands up. I know Pete's with me already because he's coming under conviction. But uh, that's what you do. You know, when you're kids, that's what we did. And our last visit to Leeds Castle, um, we're very blessed, aren't we, living in this neck of the woods with such a magnificent um, grounds and castle. But we went there for a a stroll, you know, I'm going to say this, sweetheart. And um, you know where the maze is? Uh, there's a hillock at the top, isn't it, by the falconry pen? Well, we were just looking down at people trying to find their way out the maze. And I said to Sue, it'd be really good fun if we shouted to them, gave them the wrong directions <laughs> to see what happened. And it just, it was, you know, Monday, my day off, and I was, I was in that sort of light-hearted mood. I thought, this would be really great. And I was about to do it, and, she, and wisely, she told me, don't be so, so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought at the time it was a really great idea. You know, I could see all these poor people trying to get out, and I was like, no, we could have some fun here. Turn left, turn left, no, turn right. And uh, anyway, we moved on. Um, <laughs> There is a danger when we're going to be talking about vision today. I'm going to do part one and part two, so I'll get in more detail next week about the vision for the church. But I wanted to speak a little bit about vision today. The, the thing is, you know, you have a vision when you go into a maze, don't you? I'm going to get to that centre, so I, I've achieved it. Then you have a vision to get out. But, you know, it's easy to be diverted and sidetracked in the vision that we have. If you see the fantastic graphic that Ash has done, where we're called Embracing the Vision, you can see the potential for arrows going left, right, um, along that, because you can start off with the vision, and if you're not careful, you can get sidetracked. And I want you now to turn to the person next to you. It's my turn to say this now. And I want you to turn to the person next to you or behind you and ask this question. Is your life so far been straightforward? Off you go. 
by the amount of laughter, I would guess there are very few people who would say, yeah, got life sorted, straightforward. Is there anybody who's got the bottle to say, yeah, my life's been straightforward from A to Z so far. Can you stick your hand up? Because we're going to throw stones at you. <laughs> right, so we all conclude, aren't we, that life isn't always straightforward. We have our plans and things happen because life happens. Scripture is soaked with stories of men and women who were given a vision by God to make a difference. Yet getting there from straight line, straight line made to be, there was no such thing when you read it in Scripture. Some endured spiritual attacks from without, some others from within. To divert them from staying on course. It was never a straight line from A to Z. You think of many people in the scriptures. There's one man we did a study on as a church recently, Nehemiah. He was called um, by God to rebuild the ancient ruins of, of Jerusalem. And he was to get God's people together, cast a vision... And he said, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. What a vision. And we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of God upon me and what the king had said to me. The people immediately replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Then we, so they started building, you recall from the previous series, but then just a few chapters further on, we see Nehemiah 6, verses 2 to 4, attempts to divert Nehemiah's vision from being fulfilled. In, in verse 2 of chapter 6, we read these two guys, Sanballat and Gershem sent me this message, come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plains of Ono. I'm Obvious joke here, oh no, I'm not coming down. But they were scheming, Nehemiah said, to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying out a great project. I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer, oh no. I'm about a great work. I'm not going to be diverted from this vision that God has given me to rebuild and see this work completed. The Apostle Paul modelled so well how to maintain his vision that God had given him right at the very beginning. When he wrote to the Christians in Rome in the book of Romans, he starts off with his mission statement... Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Wow, what a mission statement for your life. Set apart for the gospel of God. I'm letting you know, guys, where I'm coming from. I've been set apart, I've been called for the gospel. And when, when Paul was brought later on in his life, before King Agrippa, it's recorded in Acts 26, verse 19, he confidently declared, when under pressure, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I was not disobedient to it. This thing grabbed him. 
And he wasn't going to be sidetracked or diverted. And it cost him. Paul had seen others lose their vision. He'd been on the journey a long time. I have seen people lose their way. I've lost my way at times. Thank God it's not terminal because God's a gracious God. But in two, when he's writing to a young church leader at Ephesus, Timothy, the second epistle of Timothy, verses four, um, chapter 4, verse 7, He's just confiding to, 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 to Timothy. You know, he, when he wrote this letter, he didn't know you were going to be reading it. It was a letter that was imbibed with the presence of God and it was duplicated and people said, actually, this is scripture, God is speaking. But he, he said this, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Can you feel the pain there? in a man who's given his life for something beyond himself. And people gather around you. When, when you've got, if, you, if you've got vision, people gather to, to vision. But even that, for Demas, something cut in. And Paul said, because he loved this world. He loved this world and therefore he'd, he left. He got lost, he got diverted. We don't know what happened to Demas in the end. But he would be, he'd been a co-worker with Paul. A man without a future will always return to his past. That's what a man called P.K. Bernard said. A man without a future will always return to his past. I don't know what your vision is for your life. Have you ever thought, have you ever sat down, I'm going to write a vision statement for my life. It might be good to do that. When you're in groups this next week or so, why don't you do that? Perhaps even between now and when you meet up, say, well, actually, what is my personal vision statement for my life? Because within the big story we're looking at about going to the promised land from Joshua, there is the big vision, we're going to take the land, but also there are that's made up of individual visions we're going to be looking at, people like Caleb, who had a vision specifically within the context of the big vision that gripped him. I've been looking at some people's, famous people's vision statement, and I was intrigued by Richard Branson's, um, the, the, the founder of Virgin, everything Virgin, of trains and planes and automobiles and media, his, um, his mission statement is this. To have fun in my journey through life and learn from my mistakes. Now, he's done well for himself, but that's his mission statement. But you can... I, I will take, be, take the liberty of comparing that with the Apostle Paul. I have been set aside for the gospel. And at times he said, I've lost all things. I've lost everything for this in the world's eyes I don't add up to much but I've not been disobedient to the heavenly vision given me by God and at the end of the day when the last day comes and you breathe your last is it enough just to have fun 
Is there something more important to life than just to having fun? Because we do live in a very hedonistic society. There must be more than this. <laughs> so we were praying this morning before the meeting. My heart's cries. There must be more than this. I'm not satisfied. I'm thankful, but I'm not satisfied. There must be more than this. We've seen healings. We've seen people transformed by the gospel. But there must be more than this. Because there's something deep within that God has touched. In the scripture it says, without vision the people perish. Or in the American Standard Version translation of the Bible, it says the people were cast off restraint. And that's interesting, isn't it? You know, if we can get sloppy at oppy, we can lose focus. When we lose vision, things can drift. So vision is really important. That's what I'm re- that's the big picture. That's a big story of today. Vision gives pain a purpose. What? what have you just said, Graham? Vision gives pain a purpose. Someone once said, those without vision spend their lives taking the path of least resistance as they try to avoid discomfort. I mean, Andy Murray, amazing what he's done, but the, the pain for him of, will I play tennis again? But the people who are going to make a difference out there for the kingdom of God have got to learn to handle pain. Honestly, you re- we really have. You've, we have to learn how to handle pain and disappointment. What's the phrase? No pain, no gain. It's true in the kingdom of God too. You'll have trouble. You'll have pain. You'll have disappointment. I wouldn't trade that for fun because we want fruitfulness. I saw a, mo- a moving news item this week. Um, it, it, it sort of profoundly affected me. Uh, um, in, in, in the protests in Iran, there was a woman who, who stood up and took off a hib- hijab. Hib- is that right? Hijab. I thought, wow, you are brave. She's now been arrested. But, what, but she had a vision for something different, for something better. She was willing to stand above the parapet and do that, knowing of the pers- that there was a danger in that, because she saw something better. The possibility of something different. Perhaps she'd heard that in Saudi Arabia now, women now can drive on their own. Now, we smile at that, but that's huge. It wasn't so long ago when women weren't allowed to vote in our country. I'm going through Winston Churchill's um, biography by um, Boris Johnson moment. Fascinating. You know, we, we forget where we were 100 years ago because people had the courage to stand up. They had a vision. Martin Luther King said, I have a vision. I have a vision. Have you got a vision? Or have you just got ambition? Difference. Has this church got a vision? Yes, it has. We're going to unpack it more. Because we will not be able to be where we are today without having had a vision. What we do not want is division. Vision plus vision equals division. We have one vision. We come into one vision together. And right back in the beginning of the scriptures, when the, when the first people, um, the Tower of Babel, 
God came down to, to disrupt what they were trying to do because they had, they had a wrong sort of vision. And, and it says in Scripture, God, let us go down and stop this. It's important we have the right vision, a God-centred vision. One of the many things that astounds me about Jesus was his incredible sense of, of, of personal focus that, that he had. When he was just what, 12 years old, and uh, um, they'd been up, his mum and dad had taken him up to the temple at Jerusalem, and they came away, and obviously with the crowds, the white extended family, they said, Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? We've lost Jesus. I know there's an American church poster outside the church. It was in the morning service. It said, uh, Jesus walks on water. The evening service is searching for Jesus. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> Where's Jesus? Well, we better go back to the temple and find him. And there he was. And he was talking to the learned scribes and the priests. And, and he said, hey, I've got to be about my father's business. This is where I'm meant to be. I want to learn more about the Father's will. Learn more about the Scriptures. He's 12 years of age. And right through his life, Jesus kept on vision. He kept on vision. When he was on the cross... He kept on vision. When he raised from the dead, he kept on vision. I am going to my father and to your father. This is the vision fulfilled. He kept on vision. He ever lives to make intercession for you and me. He keeps us on vision. That's his vision, to, have, to see many sons brought into glory. We have a great saviour. And Jesus' focus remained clear, even in betrayal, especially when enjoying the pain on the cross. He knew what it was like, above all people, just to maintain vision. The next few Sundays will be rooting much of what we want to share with you regarding vision in the, against the backdrop of the visionary leadership of Joshua leading God's people into the, their corporate destiny into the land that was promised to them. At the beginning of the book of Joshua, which I do hope you'll be reading, um, it just says this, uh, let me read it. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I am giving them. To the people of Israel. It's interesting that he had to tell, had to remind Joshua that Moses was dead. I mean, of course, Joshua knew that Moses was dead. But he's saying that the past is the past. You've got to move on. You're moving in now. It's just a moment to move in to your destiny. What God has promised. It's not just about simply crossing a, a, a river. They've crossed the Rubicon. Those of you that know your Roman history, I'm looking at the Italians in the house. <laughs> yeah, the Rubicon River in, in Italy. Yeah, can, I'm, yeah, I got it right. There's actually a river called Rubicon, isn't there? Thank you very much. Julius Caesar, he, when he went over, there was a civil war in 
um, BC 49 that it, that it ultimately led to Caesar becoming emperor for life. But there was this moment where they had to cross this river. If he was, if he was going to take possession of, 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 uh, of, of the emperorship and uh, transform Rome. And they crossed over this river, him and his troops. It was now or never. And that river is called the Rubicon. Is it still there today? Thank you very much. For Joshua, he was leading the people over the Jordan, which was their Rubicon. It would never be the same once they crossed over. There's no going back. We're going over. Tomorrow we're going over. And we're going over as one people. And it's not that it was a new vision, but it was rather rooted, as Sue was helpfully sharing this morning, a really helpful thank you, about where there's promises rooted right back in time upon God's people. It started with Abraham. When God visited Abraham, he said, to you, your offspring, I will give this land. So he showed Abraham it, and he said, I'm going to give you, your offspring, this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. You see, they were a part of a bigger promise, a bigger vision. And I want to put it to you, as it was so helpfully put this morning, earlier on, that you and I, we are part of a bigger vision, a bigger promise. You've been saved into a big vision, if you know Jesus Christ. And this was a huge responsibility to, for, to, to keep such a large community focused and unified. When they were about to come into the promised land, we read from Scripture there were 601,730 men, 20 years and older, ready to fight. 600,000. That's apart from everybody else. We're keeping that amount of people on vision. I mean, we struggle with you lot. (laughs) They had loads. The number of men of war was only 1,800 men less after 40 years than when the Exodus began. Because they were in the wilderness for 40 years. You know that bit of the Bible, do you? Good. I'm glad you read your Old Testament. But they're, they're, they're only 1,800 less after all that because a new generation came. I was looking at this statistically for the, um, in Christianity uh, Today. Uh, apparently, they, uh, it's a Christian magazine, and they stated that the average number of people in churches that transition in and out annually is around about 10%. How fascinating. So I did some counts for Gateway. Last year, there's been a, a change of 7%. So it's lower than the average. Why is that? Because I think, for a few reasons. One is, it's a difficult place to leave Gateway. Because of the love, care and compassion. Um, we've heard that Annie's, I think, people are queuing up to provide meals for Annie. I think she's the latest, she's, she's got about 12, 12 people wanting to cook meals for them, having had the new baby. It's just wonderful, that sort of commitment. There's something special here. But people will go on, people move on, that's just life, that happens. But in all that, there is growth added as well. Bit by bit, we've had 20 new people recently who've just been coming into the orbit of this church. 
Because as we grow, the kingdom grows, we turn over, but the kingdom grows. It's never increasing kingdom. So therefore, when you do get a turnover, new, some people go, new people come, and it grows. It's important that we restate the vision, not assume everybody knows it. And it's caused us to go back and say, what was our original vision for Gateway? What were the touchstone verses, if you can use that phrase, for scriptures? Well, this touchstone verse was Acts 10, 38. That's when we, and you quoted it, when we started the church at Ashford in 2002, there was one, this particular verse stood out, and I want to read it to you. It's how Peter was, the Apostle Peter was describing um, to some hearers about Jesus. And he said this, how God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. That was the verse that pulsated through my veins when the church started. That's how we got the furniture project, because we had this passion to go around doing good and getting close to people so we could pray for them and see healing, see salvation. But I believe we failed at one point, and I, I believe, yeah, I, I didn't emphasise all of that in a way that I should have done, because there's one thing we didn't emphasise enough, how Jesus of Nazareth, full of the Holy Spirit, went around doing good. We're focused on doing good, and that's great, because the power of kindness is phenomenal. It's supernatural. And Jesus went around doing good. But first of all, he was, first and foremost, he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that has to be our ongoing mandate, church. That has to be our core vision. Our first thing always has to be we've got to be presence-centred and spirit-filled if we're going to see the supernatural stuff happen. How God of Nazareth, so how Jesus of Nazareth went around, full of the Holy Spirit. No wonder that Satan attempted to divert Jesus' ministry because he knew that unfettered Jesus' ministry, as it said, he would release people from Satan's power. And this is our promised land that he's calling us to. Okay, we are crossing over literally a river to go to be, have our, our church home at the riverside. That is incredibly important. That becomes our church home. Really, really important. And if God gives us grace, we'll, we'll dig into that. But fundamentally, there's a spiritual land that God is calling us into, and it's this supernatural land of promise where we, being full of the Holy Spirit, we can go around doing good in the power of the Spirit and seeing things open up in a supernatural way. And it is beginning to happen at a greater measure. Can you imagine for a moment, church, a land of provision where we are filled with the Spirit, moving unfettered supernatural inspiration doing good that unlocks the power of God into broken lives, bringing one story after another, after another of transformation because the kindness of God has touched people. I've seen it recently in some of your eyes. God, use me. God, use me. 
God used, it's wonderful. This is our food and bread. This is what really switches you on. To know that you've been used by God to help somebody else, to witness to somebody else, to challenge somebody else, to show love to somebody else in the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. This is life. Honestly, this is life. This is life. And it can become our lifeblood. This is the land the Lord our God is giving us. Just before Christmas at the Riverside Centre, we may need to take this part out of the tape. Okay, thank you. This came to me and he said, um, can I see you? And I said, yeah, come into my office. And he, he said, look, he began to well up. His eyes began to, he's a hardened guy. And he said, um, I want to know more about God. I've got questions about God. I'm thinking, why are you saying this? I think I knew why, because he'd seen, he'd touched a vision. <laughs> he'd seen the difference. He tasted the difference. There's a Sainsbury's advert for you. <laughs> and I said, yeah, okay, well, I will. let's arrange to meet up. We're going to meet up for an evening because he's got questions. He's never had the Christian to ask anybody. And he said, he took a white envelope out of his pocket and he said, I, I want to give this to your church. To give to you, wouldn't, if there's a needy person, I want you to have this to give to them. And at that point, I got a lessee in. True? And I said, let's count how much money there is in this. One. We sign it all, do all sign it we, with cash. We always do that. And this man had given £200. Someone who doesn't yet know God wants to know God was touched by the mercy and the kindness of God. It's the kingdom of God is coming. When we move in power and the love of God, it breaks, it breaks, it softens hearts, hardened hearts, because they want more. This is a good land. I came away, I said, oh, Father, I feel so, I've missed it. I want more of this. I've not been on mission on this. This is what it's about. And I just felt I'm alive. <laughs> and he was so blessed, and we're going to have a great time, I know. And others will get blessed through it because we're, re- we're releasing the generosity of God to bless the community. The community are seeing it. They want to get involved in individuals. It started one and two. Okay, we want to make a difference too. This is vision, isn't it? You see, when God touches hearts, wonderful, unexpected things happen. And that's why we're going to be focusing more this year on in his presence. This will not be wasted times in his presence. As God's ancient people gathered at the banks of the Jordan, ready to cross into their destiny. I'm sure some of them would have asked themselves, why did it take us so long to get from A to Zed, it's only a three-month journey if you tiptoe. They took them 40 years. Why? Why did it take so long? The reason was quite shocking. 
You can find it in Numbers 14, the book of Numbers. The 12 spies were sent out into the promised land and they came back and 10 of the spies said, wouldn't touch this with a barge pole. The giants are too big, um, bit dodgy, um, bit scared of this one. Two, two of them, who were they? The two spies who said, we, we've got this, we can take this. Who were they? Joshua and Caleb. They said, guys, we can have them. <laughs> we, can, we, we can have this. It's a good land. Now, I am so glad that they weren't good Baptists at this point. Because Baptists, they would have had to have, I love the Baptists, I, I really do honour them for the gospel. The, the, you know, we've been in Baptist ministry, we've been so grateful. But I'm going to say it. It's not a democracy. Yeah, you don't have to get 80% vote to get it passed in the kingdom of God. The 20%, yeah, God had the casting vote on that. You got it. We can hate this because God came on those two men. And when we started the Riverside, I was so grateful for many people, particularly for Richard, because you're a man whom God was on for faith. I had an email from another man who's a man of faith. I don't know whether he's here today, but Tom, are you here? Can't be here today. Tom wrote me this letter as he stood at the riverside. He said, standing there, I could see God's mark all over the place. He starts with what is ruined, wasted, stained by previous, and restores it for his glory. He's talking about the building, the complex. And this is only the building, he goes on to write. It's his passion, his passion, his people. How much more will, more will he follow this pattern for this place at this time because men and women chose to set aside their own life and follow him? This is Tom, our dear friend. He goes on, it made me laugh that the previous owner of the Riverside thought a, a limit to, to limit the sale of the site by GCA for a period of time to prevent the church from short-term advantage from under the underlying value of the site. How misguided they were. No, we will see the overage of the kingdom proportions in this place. And that's a technical term for those of you that don't understand it. I don't understand it, but it sounds very spiritual. No, we will see an overage of the kingdom proportions in this place and no lawmaker will ever comprehend, perceive or limit this. We will see and value men and women changed and set on a course to be with Christ. Go on, Joshua. Go on. Embracing, I've lost my notes, but I'll, I'll just be patient with me. I'm saving the best bit till last. Okay. I might need to skip a bit. At least I've numbered the, sh- the pages. Okay. Go off piece. What made Joshua and Caleb different? Well, you look back, while they were still going through the wilderness, it talks about Moses, was, Joshua was Moses' assistant. And um, it says here, 
And in referring, the writer refers back to what happened when Moses and Joshua were in the tent of meeting, the place of presence. He said, whenever the, the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the, of the tent of meeting, they all stood and worshipped, and each at the entrance of their tent, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. You see, here was Joshua, this young man who was destined to lead... He just said, my priority is going to be the presence of God. I am going to, I'm, going to, I'm, going to stay, I'm going to linger longer in the presence. And this year, church, the best we can do in use of our time is to linger longer in the presence. Can we all say that together? Linger longer in the presence. One, two, three. Linger longer in the presence. Don't be in a rush to move on to do exploits. Because we'll do more exploits if we linger longer in his presence. And for, for Caleb, what was it about Caleb? He was an older guy. Um, I looked, I, okay, I'll, I'll see what the name Caleb means. It means dog. <laughs> dog. Like a faithful dog. That's how the Hebrew word for it is linked to dog, faithful dog. Faithfulness and dog. Ah, he's like... It's always going to be there. Has anybody got a dog that's always there? You know, it always follows you. <laughs> One out, okay. Caleb was following hard after God all the time. When people weren't looking, when people didn't know what you were doing, he was still following hard after God. I've just been so moved by Pete. I'm going to embarrass you, Pete. He's got a passion for God's word. He has gone through the whole Bible, going while he's been in the car, back and forth to Maidstone every day. He's done it in nine months. He said, it's transforming my life. Nine months, he's gone through the Bible. I'm going to do it again. But he said, I'm having, it's getting me faith. Faith comes by hearing the word. Is it in the private place? There's a Caleb coming on you, Pete. Caleb anointing. When they get to the promised land, Caleb says to Joshua, give me this mountain, I'll have that one. I, 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 can, I, can, I, can, do, I can take this one. And I was just meditating when we were worshipping this morning. I was just sitting there and you were all worshipping. I'm just thinking, I wonder if, if, if Caleb was with us and he goes over and he said, give me, see that high-rise block of flats? You give me that one. I'll look after that one. I'll bring the kingdom of God to that high-rise block of flats. Others can have the rest, but give me that one. Give me that one. And Caleb was allotted a place amongst the great. Well, we started with a discussion about a maze. Jesus came to accomplish great things for us because he, he, to lift us out that maze of confusion in life. What does life mean? What's the purpose of life? I don't, I don't get it. I, I've tried that avenue. I've tried this avenue. I'm still confused. And, and I want to say to you, God understands. He knows your beginning. He will know your end. 
but he looks down in love and he says, I can lift you out of that maze and give you a vision and a destiny with God's people. You don't have to stay in that maze of confusion. You know people who are stuck in a confused maze of life. They've got no answers. But you've got the answer, haven't you, Carol? (laughs) You've got the answer. Carol's got a vision for the riverside. She wants to help people do cooking on a budget. What's your strategy? Well, no, we'll just get filled with the Spirit and see what God does. (laughs) But you'll see people come to Christ because of the vision God has given you. Come with us, we'll do you good. I, I, I commend you in closing now. If you do not know Jesus, he's a great saviour. He can forgive everything you've done. By his blood, he cleanses you from everything you've done. He washes you clean and he'll pick you up and give you a new start. A fresh vision for your life. A destiny. A destiny with God's people. And all God's people said, Thank you, Graham. Um, That was part one. We've got part two, part three, part four yet to come. Go away um, as individuals, as couples, as groups, community groups, and talk about it, think about it, pray about it. Um, Be in God's presence and uh, get a vision. And uh, there's more to come. So coffee and tea will be served, along with biscuits out in the cafeteria. Um, Let's go and enjoy. The Lord bless you.